As they're going out, let me just ask for God's blessing on the message again. Father, thank you for this glorious morning that you've given us to come together and sing your praises. Father God, now help us to understand why it is that we're singing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So every year after Thanksgiving, our thoughts and our attentions turn towards Christmas. We make our plans, we purchase cards and gifts, and we wait in anticipation to see what gifts we might receive. Oh, don't tell me you don't do that. <laughs> of course you do. Then as the presents begin to appear beneath the tree, our anticipation continues to grow as we wait for Christmas morning to come when we will finally get to see what gifts have been given to us. It is hard to wait for the things that we really want or need. But it is so much easier when we know the date when we will receive it and can count down to the time that we have to wait. How much harder it is when you have no idea when your need will be met. Well, this was the situation in Israel at the time of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Promises had been made by God over the course of hundreds, even thousands of years. Promises that He would send His people a king, a Messiah, a Savior, who would defeat their enemies, deliver them from captivity, bless them abundantly, and rule over them forever just as we've been singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Generation after generation had passed on these promises, and still the people waited for their Savior and King, and the anticipation continued to build. Today I want to take a few minutes to remind you of some of those promises of a coming King the fulfillment of those promises in Jesus and the promise and fulfillment that still awaits. So let's start with just a few passages that speak of the promise of a coming king. As Pastor Don mentioned, the very first promise that God made of a future Savior was made to the first human beings who needed a Savior, Adam and Eve. The very few human beings made in the image of God chose to rebel against God and sinned against Him, resulting in sin being passed on to all of mankind, to all of their descendants. As a result, all of mankind would need a Savior to deliver them from the penalty of sin, which is death. So God, in His mercy and grace, promised them a future savior, a future redeemer who would defeat Satan and deliver his people from the penalty of their sin. Thousands of years later, this promise was repeated to Abraham when God told him that one of his descendants would be the source of divine blessing for all the people of this world. One thousand years later, the Psalms were written by King David and others And in at least 11 of those psalms, 
there are references to a future Messiah and king who will be a descendant of David. Still hundreds of years later, several Old Testament prophets also wrote about the promise of a coming Savior and King, but in much greater detail. Let us look at a couple of those, starting with Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is just one of almost a hundred promises that were made prior to Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Here's another very familiar promise, Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Here Micah is telling us that the Messiah, the king, will be born in Bethlehem. But he is not. He has already been for ancient of days. He has already existed. And he will be born. And then Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. This is the most familiar of all the Old Testament prophecies about the birth of Jesus Christ. Handel himself includes it as one of the great choruses of his Messiah oratorio. So we hear it sung often. Let us consider some of the rich truths found in this short passage. Isaiah 9.6 For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So look back at verse 9. It begins, For to us a child is born. This is a statement about the humanity of Jesus. He began his life like any other human being, as a newborn infant. Then he would go on to live his life, first as a boy, then as a man, yet without sin. As a man, he felt everything we feel, pain, sorrow, temptation, joy, love, And in his death, he suffered in our place as a man. But he goes on in verse 6 to say, To us a son is given. This speaks of his pre-existent deity. He was and always had been the divine son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And he was given to us by God the Father to be our Savior. And he willingly took on human flesh 
in order to save us from the penalty of our sins, in order to conquer sin and death forever. He was and is God. And he is now ruling over us from his throne as our king. The promises of verse 6 have been fulfilled in Christ. The promises of verse 7 are ongoing and even future. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now we know there is not yet peace on earth. We know that Jesus is not ruling over the earth right now here in person. But we know that is future. That is coming. The second advent is coming. So as we celebrate the first advent, let's not forget about the promises of the second advent as well. This prophecy looks beyond the first Christmas, the first advent, to a time in the future when Christ shall return to make all things new and to rule over the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness will dwell. In the meantime, while we await his second advent, his kingdom and his rule are manifested in us, in his church. As he rules over the hearts of all of his redeemed people, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that we are included in his kingdom. Amen? We who know of these promises also know that they were fulfilled by Jesus, the child born that first Christmas morning in Bethlehem. He became Emmanuel, God with us. So as I said earlier, we celebrate not simply the birth of a child, but the birth of God in human form. We celebrate the coming of the King who is God. The Word of God tells us that Jesus was the long-awaited Savior and King sent by God because it records for us the announcements made by an angel to Mary, by an angel to Joseph, and by the angel to the shepherds, confirming that He was the promised one. So I want to look briefly at these announcements made by these angels. We already heard... But you can open your Bible, if you'd like to, to Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 33. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will that be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son 
of God. Exactly what had been foretold. That God would come. That God would be born of a virgin. And that he would be born in Bethlehem. All fulfilled. And then, her husband to be had to be informed as well. So the angel appears to Joseph in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. By this time, Mary was beginning to show, beginning to realize that she was with child. And Joseph didn't know exactly how to handle this. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We're thankful that the uh, angel interceded here and explained to Joseph what was going on. And of course, Joseph did what was right. And we know the rest of the story, that Joseph and Mary proceeded to Bethlehem exactly according to God's plan so that the baby would be born exactly at the time and place that God had foreordained. And then, when that time came, the angels announced His birth to the shepherds. Back in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, we read these verses. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. He may have been born in a stable in relative obscurity, but his heavenly father had to have an announcement of that birth and did so again so that we would see that Jesus is the promised Messiah, is the promised King, is God in human form. The focus in each of these announcements is that the Son of God has come down from heaven to earth and has been born as a human being to be both 
Savior and King. Now, many decades, decades later, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Philippian church, gives us some of the details of how this occurred. We find that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where we read this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here we see the truth that Jesus became a human being, became like us for the express purpose that he would live a sinless life and then he would lay down that life to take the penalty for our sins upon himself. I can't die to pay the penalty for your sins because I have my own sins that I have to pay the penalty for. But Jesus had no sin. And because he was God, the value of his life was infinite. He could cover an infinite number of sins with his death. And so... Paul tells us here that not only did he humble himself to become a child, but he did so so that he could save us from the penalty of our sins, so that he could pay that penalty and secure for us and all who believe in him forgiveness of our sins and eternal life with him. Not just forgiveness of our sins, which would be amazing enough, amen? But eternal life with Him. Paul explains this further in the passage in Romans chapter 3. He explains further what Jesus did on the cross for us. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now note that. What Jesus did on the cross, He did for those who believe in Him for their salvation. For those who trust in Him for their salvation. In, for, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? Some of you said amen. We can all say amen. All fall short of the holiness and perfection of God because we're all sinners. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Jesus had to shed his blood. Jesus had to suffer in our place. Jesus had to take the wrath of God that was due for our sins. And he did so willingly. Why? Because of love. God is love. And that love moved him to fulfill what was needed for all who would believe in him and trust in him. It was an act of love. It was an act of grace. It was an act of mercy. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What does that mean? That means God could not just forgive our sins. That wouldn't be just. Someone had to pay the penalty for those sins, for God to be just. And so God became the justifier in Jesus Christ. And he justified us through his substitutionary death on the cross. And praise be to God, we all know that Jesus did not remain in the grave. But on the third day, he rose again. He appeared to over 500 of his followers on various occasions over 40 days. And then he ascended back into heaven and took his rightful place on his throne at the right hand of the Father. From where he rules over his church, and intercedes for all of his people, all who have trusted in him for their salvation. But wait, there is more. Jesus will come again, just as he promised his disciples, just as has been promised in Old Testament prophecies, in New Testament prophecies, over and over and over again. I wanted to have a shorter message this morning, so I'm not going to read all of those to you. But I do want you to hear what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is foretelling the future. This is just before he goes to the cross. Just before he gives his life for them. And he lets them know this. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. We're speaking here of the second advent. And the Son of Man is the title that Jesus used for himself throughout his earthly ministry. It goes back to Daniel's prophecy of the coming of the Son of Man. 
because God became man. Now he's coming as the son of God and as a glorified man. When will this be? Soon. Soon. In God's economy. Okay? Because remember, with God, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. He goes on to tell his disciples, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And then in verse 44, he says, therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Listen to me. We say it often, don't we? Maranatha. It means come quickly, Jesus. Come quickly, Lord. What a joy it would be if tomorrow Jesus came. Amen? What a joy that would be, right? And we would be with him in a new heaven and a new earth forever and ever and ever. But as much joy as that would give us, remember, that would end the opportunity for anyone to be saved. So why does he tarry? He tarries so that more men and women, boys and girls, can hear the gospel, can hear the message of God's provision of salvation, and they can come to know Christ and be included in that number who rejoice at his coming. Amen? So we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But Jesus knows the day and the hour now. This will be the final fulfillment of all of those promises that we read earlier. Jesus will finally establish his kingdom upon the earth, a renewed earth. And all of us who have trusted in him for our salvation will be with him and we will worship him for all eternity. So, as we celebrate the first advent, tomorrow, and as we continue to worship him every day and give thanks to God for the greatest gifts that have ever been given, the gift of God's own Son given for us and the gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life provided by Him in His life, death, and resurrection. Let us give thanks every day to Jesus for what He has done. Let us live to glorify Him every day, not just at Christmas time. And let us look forward to that second advent that is coming soon. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this opportunity. For us to hear from your word today. The promises that you gave. Some of those promises fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. Some of those promises awaiting his second coming. Father God, thank you for 
proving yourself to us through the fulfilled prophecies, over a hundred prophecies regarding the first coming of Christ, the first coming of your Son, already fulfilled. So that we are all without excuse. Thank you, Father God, for revealing this to us and giving us faith to believe and changing us, Father God, from the inside out. And Father, we look forward to that day when we will see Jesus face to face, when we will bow before him and we will sing of the joy that he brings to us. In the meantime, Father God, help us to live for him. Help us to live for you. Help us to worship you and give glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.